Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Hi, fools. Welcome to Industry Focus. My name is Emily Flippin, and I'll be joined by Asit Sharma today as we talk about the business of outdoor grilling. Now, if you're listening, today is hopefully September 7th, but we're actually pre-recording today's episode. In fact, Asit and I did a very bad job of scheduling our out-of-office dates uh, to be exactly opposite of one another. So we'll actually be pre-recording the episodes that are going out today, the 17th, 7th, the 14th, and the 21st. So we can call today's episode the first of what will be a a pre-record palooza, I suppose. Emily, it's fun to be here, but I want to lay one ground rule for this episode. Don't grill me on (laughs) on any of of these uh, data or, or facts. Well, it's good for you that this episode is is such an easy one to talk about because the business of grilling uh, is so simple. I'm not sure if it needs all the complicated data and facts because when we talk about both of the businesses that we're going to talk about today, the fundamentals, I think, are pretty obvious. Um, In fact, I would think both these businesses very clearly see each other as competitors. Um, It's Weber and Traeger. Uh, Weber's ticker is W-E-B-R. And Traeger is C-O-O-K. They, they stole the cook symbol here. So they, they both have some, I guess, interesting uh, business models, but they both recently headed to public markets as well. Um, so I figured, why not talk about them both? And we can kind of play them off one another. Yeah, it's so interesting that they have IPOs very near to each other. And Emily, I think we first saw some interest in this on Twitter. I think one of our viewers tweeted out that they wanted to see a head-to-head comparison as if we had the grill set up and we're doing a taste test. We could sort of do a taste test as we go along. Um, I've got a little bit of personal color on one of these two businesses, so I'll, I'll weave that in as we go. When I saw that tweet, which referred to Traeger as the Peloton of grilling, I got a chuckle from it. I also kind of rolled my eyes because I was like, oh man, all of these news sites, you know, everything's the something of something. No business can just be its own self. Uh, but no, actually, when I when I went through Traeger's S1, management specifically refers to themselves as wanting to become the Peloton of grilling, which is to say they want their grills to have such uh, widespread brand name recognition that they can be the premium product in a pretty fragmented market. It. So it's not a completely incorrect statement to say that that's that's Traeger's mindset. I think Weber, on the other hand, uh, many Americans especially, but people across the world will be really familiar with that brand already. It's They've been making uh, outdoor grills for decades now, um, all different types, uh, a name that, uh, again, I think they have around 24% global market share in the grilling market, having sold over 50 million grills. Uh, very clear business model that I think will resonate with a lot of people. Yeah, we'll jump into Weber first. Interestingly enough, Emily, that 50 million grills sold, which they maintain with replacements, they call that their installed base, almost like a software company. So I think both of these companies are reaching for some credentials from other industries that have made so many businesses popular with investors as the IPO market and SPAC market exploded 
earlier this year. Of course, it's been a more difficult experience as of late. They also mentioned their net promoter score of 62. For those of you who aren't familiar with an NPS score, it's simply a way of judging a company's desirability out there in the great world of consumers. It takes scores by uh, defenders of a company, I should call it, say, advocates, and also detractors. A score of 70 and above is considered world-class. So to have a score of 62 is pretty decent. I mean, it's it's not world-class, but it's getting there. I will say uh, there is a difference, though, between uh, Weber and Traeger, even though they both do break down those NPS numbers. And that's actually when it comes to the grills themselves. Uh, Weber, as I mentioned earlier, 50 million grills sold, all different types. Traeger, much smaller, I think only around 2 million grills sold, which is around 4% of Weber's total sales. And they're solely focused right now on what's wood pellet grilling. Um, so a special type of grills that results in a more, I'd say, premium product. It's uh, becoming increasingly popular, especially over the last year during the pandemic, when people were looking to upgrade their outdoor eating equipment. And Traeger is specifically trying to grow this market. Um, eventually, we'll probably introduce other grilling products, and we can talk more about that later. But uh, what I thought was interesting was that in Weber, in their S1, they specifically took shots at Traeger. And while they didn't use the name in particular, they did mention that gas and charcoal grills continue to be preferred by consumers with 51% of their survey respondents saying that they're more likely to purchase a gas grill and 26 saying charcoal grills relative to, quote, only 3% for wood pellet grills. And I, I love this because they went out of their way to mention, hey, wood pellet, still a very, very small part of the grilling market here. Well, this shows you how savvy Weber's management is because in 2006, the, or I think it was 2006, the original patents for the wood pellet technology for the Traeger grills expired. And hence now in 2020, we have Weber with its own version of the wood pellet grill. They've got a version. So they're simultaneously slowly rolling theirs out, but throwing some shade at a really fierce competitor who only focuses on this one product. And Emily, I, I think you let me down here because for those of you who don't know, Emily is great with really bad puns. For those of you who really enjoy uh, looking at the titles of our podcast each week, Emily can oh, no. usually work in a bad pun. I'm surprised you didn't pick up on the relationship between pellet and peloton oh. in Traeger's S1, but we, we'll, we'll find a way to, to work that in. <laughs> I, I'm disappointed in myself as well. I do I do love a good pun here. Um, I want to go back to the installed base that you mentioned, because as, as we're thinking about Peloton, they also like to refer to their bikes as kind of an installed base, because the idea is, is once you get a bike into someone's house, then they pay for the subscription that results in recurring revenue. And I, I don't think anyone thinks about grills and thinks to themselves, Oh, well, that's, that's a subscription business. That's recurring revenue. Uh, but there's aspects of it that I do think connect. The first one is the, the, you mentioned the, the, I guess, upgrade, um, recycle phase for grills. Around 2 million grills every single year are upgraded. Uh, so there is an installed base that's already pretty saturated that is in the process of upgrading. Uh, they do say that wood pellet grills, at least Traeger, says that wood pellet grills are upgraded nearly 44% faster than traditional grills. So the idea being that once someone has a grill uh, that's not their grill for life, they will eventually come back and make future purchases. 
But both Traeger and Weber are doing something that's like a Wi-Fi enabled app. Um, Traeger calls theirs Wi-Fi, <laughs> and I believe Weber calls theirs their smart grilling hub. But either way, they're apps that you can download on your phone that give you things like recipes, connect to your grill, uh, let you know when your food is done, what the temperature is. Uh, and that theoretically increases the engagement that people have with their grills. If you have the app on your phone, you're probably going to be grilling more often than somebody who doesn't. They both uh, have these technological advancements. Weber thinks of its smart grilling hub as being a disruptive technology. I think Traeger is a little more low-key because Traeger itself is a younger brand and a somewhat more hip brand. And I think their management team better understands that most appliances today for a certain set of consumer that has a hipsterish element is going to want an app with that device. I know I'm I'm very fond of coffee and I was looking for some new coffee equipment and found a three-in-one machine. Not that I want to buy this, Emily, but you can make pour-over coffee in it. You can do a version of a a drip coffee, and it's it's all app enabled. Younger consumers want to utilize apps as they work. So, while both companies are hitting this market, and that's important, I think that when you when you go back to the idea of having an installed base, it's important to remember for investors that each sees opportunities in people having more than one grill. Now, this sounds so strange to me because I've got a small wooden deck. I can imagine having more than one grill. But uh, Weber makes the point that if you like their product and you buy into their brand, then eventually you may want to get their camping version. And they've got a smaller portable version that you could take on a picnic. Similarly, I think Traeger also sees some extensions into other markets, although they've been so focused on this wood pellet market, that will take a little more time for them. I will say when I went through their distribution and um, I guess growth strategy, I was surprised to see the differences between Weber and Trigger when it comes to direct to consumer sales. Weber in my mind is this legacy brand that I would imagine, yes, a lot of people are aware of, but I kind of associate it with with retailers, I suppose. Whereas Traeger, um, I actually haven't seen it in any stores, uh, which we'll get to, but I haven't seen it in any stores. So I figured, well, they have a, a really loyal following, a really high net promoter score. Surely they must be doing a lot of business online through their website, but it's actually the other way around. Nearly 20% of revenue for Weber comes to direct from consumer, right? So these are people specifically going out seeking the Weber name compared to only around 7% for Traeger. So Traeger does a lot of their sales through businesses like Home Depot, Ace, Wayfair, Williams-Sonoma. It obviously hasn't impacted their brand that much to date, but I was surprised to see, I guess, more people going direct in the case of Weber as opposed to Traeger. Surprising statistics because again, Traeger being a younger, as I, and I said said before, maybe more hip brand, you would expect higher DTC sales, direct-to-consumer sales that are generated by their really wide social footprint. And I think they've got something like 1.4 million followers on various social media. How interesting that they've got basically the same distribution model uh, as does Weber. I was surprised at uh, something you pointed out, Emily, that Weber grills represent 52%, 39%, and 32% of grilling category sales for Ace Hardware, Home Depot, and Lowe's. 
respectively. That is a massive amount of market share, and and they do talk about their penetration in the U.S. They they seem to think, and 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 I have to agree with them that the grilling market is bigger than it looks because we've got new technologies being introduced. So every time there's a new category, for example, wood pellets, that extends the market, the total addressable market. But at the same time, Weber is more of, I think you said it very nicely, a legacy brand. It's got a lot of brand power, but management has to keep spending to keep that brand fresh. So I wonder about their eventual ability to to grow at a fast rate, to have a compounded annual growth rate that's equal to what they've generated in the past, which we'll come to um, in just a bit. I'm a bit embarrassed to say that I don't know much about the grilling industry. Uh, and part of it is because I'm just not much of a griller. But I also think part of it is like, I live in a city and I, I rent an apartment. And the idea of owning a grill has always felt, I guess, more like a burden than an opportunity. And earlier today, before we started taping, I was looking through Williams-Sonoma, which reported earnings over this prior week. And I was surprised to see management calling out what a great market it is for homeowners, right? So they see a lot of demand increasing as home ownership increases. And as people leave cities, even in 2021, as a result of the pandemic, that's beneficial for them. And I was thinking to myself as I was reading through, well, I was a little surprised to see that neither Weber nor Traeger called this out specifically, but that's probably the same thing for Weber and Traeger as as more people leave cities, as they buy bigger homes, move out to more spacious areas. Grills are a lifestyle that naturally expands along with them. Uh, it makes me think maybe more positively about the market opportunity, but looking at the numbers that both of these businesses reported in their S1s, I will say, at least in the US, the grilling market seems very saturated. Yes. If you think about the housing industry, we've got a problem with supply. There's not enough supply. So even though that long-term trend is there, there are going to be more homeowners in the future. Basically, you've you've got a housing market itself that is legacy. So what I mean by this, I used to own a grill. What And we are both anomalies, I think, Emily, that in that neither of us own grills. And I actually had, as, as I was saying before, I, I would give some color here. I had a Weber grill that was a hand-me-down from my parents. Weber grills are very high quality for anyone who have, has ever owned them. They're not the kind of grills that brought out <laughs> with, with rust after a few years. I must have hung on to that grill for 15 years after college. I did have to replace sort of the inner grill work. But they're, they're wonderful grills. At this point in my life, though, we don't have a grill. Why? Because a couple of years ago, we went pescatarian. So we only eat fish in, in addition to, to vegetarian options. We, it's been a while since I grilled. And I wonder, too, like there are other trends out in society that might also keep this as sort of a saturated, not a very fast-growing market if more people decide after COVID to flock to cities so for every person who wants to own a home, there's someone who decides to go back and is an Emily and, and doesn't own a grill, or they're they're like an Asset in that it's just not part of their lifestyle anymore. Although I should say, I have thought a couple of times about getting a grill just to grill fish uh, because I love that taste. And it is pleasant for those of you who um, like to grill on a back deck or in a backyard with, with friends over. It, it's a wonderful American tradition. How does that translate globally, though? That's something else that we should talk about. I think the biggest brands uh, or, or biggest sales for 
Weber are in just a few countries that are known for being very grill crazy. Australia is one, the US is one. I think in Europe also they're very big. So that's yet another, another maybe a little bit of a, a, a short-term lid on this market. Yeah, for Weber, um, nearly 60% of sales come from North America alone. And that is somewhat concerning because estimates, and I'm combining the estimates from both Weber and Traeger here, but they say it's probably somewhere around 55 to 60% penetration for grills, meaning around 55 to 60% of all U.S. households already own a grill. Um, while that might translate to, wow, 75 million households, you know, people love grilling. I'm just, I can't help but think to myself, even those 2 million year replacement grills can't be that much of an opportunity, right? And um, Weber actually estimates its US-based addressable market right now um, as around $7 billion, globally around $15 billion. And while both of these businesses are, I think, around four billions in terms of market capitalization right now. It's four to five, I think, in terms of market cap. It's It just doesn't feel like a super big opportunity, at least not one that you're reachieving every single year. So for that reason, I'm the market opportunity alone doesn't get me super excited. But again, I'm a bad person to ask. Maybe I don't grill enough. Maybe we should, uh, we should take and extrapolate something from the fact that you don't grill Emily, because you should be like a target consumer. I, I'm thinking for Traeger, you're young, you have a pretty active lifestyle, you have a lot of friends. So there's something there. They need to hone their marketing to get to you so that you end up buying one. I will say for these two businesses, though, the extensions into each other's territories could be interesting and sales of consumables could help them, which we'll also mention in just a moment here. But as business propositions, you you could buy these companies, you could buy the stock in these companies. And again, we're on shorter, we're trying to be on a shorter leash with these episodes. So I'll go ahead and give my opinion midstream. I think you could buy either of these companies if you really love the brand. They're pretty stable. Uh, I don't think either of these is going to accelerate to a rocket type status. Could they grow a little bit in excess of the consumer uh discretionary market. So, companies of, of their ilk, maybe. And I see that more with Traeger being the younger brand with the newer technology. But there is nothing here, uh, ownership structures too, which I promise we're going to hit all these things that I'm that I'm signaling we'll get to, might give someone pause. There, there's nothing here that's going to make these companies the drivers of a consumer good investor's portfolio over the next five to 10 years. But unlike some other companies, I do love the brand element here. So I'm not dismissing them as quickly as I have some other companies that we've looked at over the past couple of years that have had similar economic characteristics, similar pulls in the marketplace. I do like the brand strength for both. Speaking of economic characteristics, the financial picture for both these businesses is interesting. I, I, to this point, have really only talked about grills, and that does make up the majority of both of these businesses' revenue. But uh, in the case of Weber and Traeger, 26 and 22% of revenue, respectively, actually comes from consumables and accessories. So Weber sells things like cooking supplies, cookware, fuel. Traeger, they sell a lot of wood pellets for their grills. All of these grills need wood pellets to operate, obviously, to cook food. And uh, Traeger has these branded 
wood pellets that they try to sell to people who buy Traeger grills. And it means that there is some source of recurring revenue for both of these businesses. Uh, I think it's probably stronger in the case of Traeger, even though I know it's less in percentage of total revenue is because 96% of Traeger owners also purchase Traeger wood pellets. And in the retailers where Traeger does operate based off of what I could find, they make it a priority to ensure that any place that is selling a Traeger wood pellet grill is also selling those same customers the wood pellets. And uh, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about as a source of recurring revenue for an otherwise stagnant market. True. Weber seeks to do something similar through Ace Hardware. They have a really great uh, extension of their accessories on those shelves. Not as much, though, in major DIY houses like Home Depot and Lowe's, where there's much more competition for the consumables, uh, third-party brands that are on the shelves. So you don't have to buy uh, a Weber replacement for your your um, your grill covering. So I think for both these businesses, it's a margin builder. Most of the margin, though, comes from the sale of the grills. And this is interesting, Emily. They have two different approaches. So Weber itself is a manufacturer and they manufacture within the United States. So they've decided to take control of that process pretty much since day one. They have a gross margin of about 40%, which sounds right to me as a manufacturer. Their net income margin hovers at slightly profitable. It's mid single digit, 4% for uh, the 2020 year, 7.7% for the last trailing six months. When you look at Traeger, it's got a different business model. They basically outsource their manufacturing so they can get a higher profit per unit. But they, I think their cost of sales is a little higher because they're in aggressive promotion mode, whereas Weber is in, is in brand maintenance mode. At the end of the day, Traeger's economics don't look a lot different. If you just look at the bottom line, both are slightly profitable in any given period. And, and we see that Traeger... As you pointed out uh, in in our outline, is just coming into profitability, right? It's a younger brand. It's only recently profitable, but it looks like it's got that characteristic. And it just brings up a question that I just wanted to ask your opinion on, Emily. This never-ending question, should we produce or should we outsource? There doesn't seem to be any kind of clear winner across industries. It could help to be a manufacturer in some cases, but you have this exact same business that's using an outsource model. The bottom line is very similar. So this actually blew my mind maybe just a little bit is that nuance and their their process, their production process was lost on me until you mentioned it to me right before we started taping this episode. And I didn't dig into it because their margin profiles were so similar. I thought, you know, Traeger's obviously scaling up to, to what Weber has been producing for decades now. I was surprised to find that Weber was the one out of the two that did not own the manufacturing, uh, largely because Traeger makes a point about calling out the quality of its product. Um, the, the argument is, is that you'll pay up for the experience of owning a Traeger because the, the product itself is worth the premium. And we're talking about a premium in the order of you know, five, six, even in some cases, a thousand dollars difference between Traeger and the next best product. The reason why that makes me a little bit I don't know, I scratch my head some with that is because as I was, you know, I'll say doing 
due diligence, um, aka wasting a lot of time watching review videos for uh, grills. I know way too much about these grills now. But there was a lot of angst from buyers about the quality of Traeger products. And I wonder if they've maybe had some issues with manufacturing in the past. I didn't see anything in their S1, but based off the number of people that were experiencing problems, and there's always going to be some problems, grills are grills. I, I don't know. It was just something that took me a little bit by surprise. Yeah, I think whenever you're trying to sell yourself as a lifestyle choice, that's something that you want to control, the the consistency and quality of the product. And this is very much in the model of Yeti, Trigger's position itself as that lifestyle brand for the younger consumer, the consumer that wants something that's a, a little bit higher quality experience in management's eyes versus an electric or a gas or a charcoal grill. Now, this isn't to say that they won't explore those uh, avenues in the future. But this is a good time to talk about what the future may look like in terms of product lines. I find it interesting that Weber, as this legacy brand, as you call it, has a ton of patents uh, on its grills. So I think they've got 50 plus patents that cover the whole evolution of their grills. Traeger, after, and I mentioned their original patent expired, really has not invested in its intellectual property, it's IP. They have no patents. They rely on trade secrets. This has something to do with the way the two companies evolved. Weber being a company that's developed over decades, Traeger has a more interesting ownership story, Emily. Could you tell us a little bit about how they are structured and, and who's running the show there? Yes. And it, maybe it, this will answer my question on, on how come they don't have any patents. Maybe there's an answer here in what you're about to, to walk us through. It is a weird story with the founding of Traeger because Traeger Industries, which was the company prior to the Traeger that we know today, was founded back in the 1980s by a father and son duo, uh, Joe Bryan and Mark Traeger. But they sold off the business in 2006 to a venture capital firm. But there are some legal battles, I think, in 2014. Um, they... They did sell it to the current owner, so the CEO, Jeremy Andrus, um, and their PE firm came in, purchased the business in 2014. But I think along that way, there was some confusion about both the Traeger name and, again, the process of manufacturing for the Traeger products, that there was, there was lawsuits between them. And I, I, to this point, I think the lawsuits have been settled, but the ownership now is much more Traeger as a brand's name and their wood fire pellet grills as opposed to any patents that were passed along in the process. Yeah, they seem like they're being run in a very sophisticated fashion by people who have experience with scaling companies, not necessarily a passion project, which is pouring money into R&D for the future. Not to say that that they don't invest in, in research and development, they do, but it's not the same magnitude that we see on Weber's side historically. So I guess here that you know the quick takeaway is that you can go a long way on a brand and brand extensions, but at some point you, you do have to invest in technology and then draw a circle around that technology, patent it, and uh, keep extending. So I'm wondering if this might be a little bit of an Achilles heel going forward for Traeger. When I think about the risks of these businesses. Uh, it was funny to me. I was expecting there to be dramatic differences. But even though we're talking about a relatively new business, again, Traeger was founded. It's been a long founded company, but only recently public. When you compare Weber and Traeger to each other, the same issues persisted in 
both uh, that I found, which was uh, these are businesses that hold a sizable amount of debt. They have a lot of concentration risk in the retailers that they sell to. Uh, they're both controlled businesses with, with uh, PE firms and partners. So uh, the structure is not friendly for investors in either of these businesses, which is definitely something to know. And they, they both compete in a really saturated yet somewhat fragmented market that faces high levels of competition. So I, I came across kind of feeling like, I have a hard time figuring out which is better than the other. I think I lean towards Weber just because they have a bigger product line. Uh, Traeger is so focused on one aspect. It's a $3 billion business. I, you know, Wood pellet grills stopped becoming popular. Traeger is in a much tougher spot than Weber is. But I, I don't find myself running out to buy shares of either of these businesses. Emily, I think you've identified more of the, the types of lids on long-term growth that, that I was referring to. These are fine businesses in the sense that the demand for grills is going to be around and they've already got very nice distribution in the really the, the biggest names in the business. Ace Hardware is uh, they're a national franchised company. So they're basically in a conglomeration of smaller businesses owned by different people, but they've got a great footprint in the South and Middle America. A wonderful place to have your girls. And of course, Home Depot, Lowe's, those are the other places to go to if you want to market your grill on the sidewalk, which is essentially what Traeger is doing. And so is Weber. I will say it, Weber tends more to be inside uh, the structures than, than Traeger is, as my own personal experience milling around these places. The bottom line though, is you are not uh, alone as public shareholders. You're in with uh, Founders, in the case of Weber, some original family owners still own a chunk. Then you've got, as you mentioned, VCs and private equity firms on the Traeger side. So this is, you know, pointing to capital allocation that may not be in the best of shareholders' interest in the years to come. Again, stable markets, great products, decent unit economics, decent bottom lines. I my my point today is, to, you know not to warn anyone off of buying these. I think, yeah, I mean, if you love grills and you are a Weber person, why not you know, get a few shares? You're giving your money to the company anyway. Those grills aren't cheap and neither are the accessories. <laughs> uh, same with Traeger. But I think we're at the same place here at the end of the day. These aren't companies that we're super excited uh, to go out and purchase. Well, I hope Matt Greer is listening because uh, Matt or Mac, our coworker, is a big fan of Weber Grills. That was, uh, you know, now he knows. Osset approved. You can buy yourself some shares of Weber and probably be totally fine with that. Osset. <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 bet uh, your stake though on, <laughs> on the company. Put that on the grill, Mac. Oh, that's a great that's a great title. So I think I'm going to be something with stake. It's probably going to be up there for today's titles. We're seeing All right. fall. Uh, Emily, you have a lot of super titles that make me groan to live up to, so get to work. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions just want, or just want to reach out to say, hey, you can always shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks, who was right behind the screen today. For Asa Sharma, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and full on. Mm-hmm.